Thanks for joining us on the Three Strands Church Podcast. You're about to hear a new message from our series, Risk. God's way isn't always easy. In fact, it can be downright uncomfortable or terrifying. He doesn't promise that it'll always be safe. He promises that it'll be worth the risk. Before we get going, I just want to say thank you to you guys. Thank you um, for helping us to build something great. Thank you guys who have been here from day one, and thank you guys who have been here, and this is day one. But thank you guys for helping us to build a space where people can walk through the doors and be free to just experience the truth and grace of Jesus. Thank you guys for that. And as the pastor, like, I get the privilege from God of, of like, long-range thinking sometimes, right? And I've told other pastor friends of mine that the best and worst part of being a church planner is that you can see what the church will be in 10 years. That's the best part because you're excited. I'm excited about a church in McCreary County that is reaching hundreds and hundreds of people, that's helping kids not get hooked on drugs, that help, that's helping marriages not end in divorce, that's helping um, people control their temper and, and learn to live an abundant life that God wants them to live, to manage their finances well, but more importantly than that, that is assured of eternal life in heaven someday. I'm excited about seeing that church 10 years from now. But that's also the worst part about being a church planner. Because when you show up on like week eight, right, and there's just like six of us, and you're kind of like, goodness, this is going to take us 10 years to get there. You know what I mean? So it's like the worst and best part. But I just wanted to say to you guys, thank you. Thank you that the band puts in all the work they put in, and every time they play, it seems like they get better. And thank you for all the people that help out teaching my kids and other kids in our church that God loves them and has a big plan for their life. Thank you, guys. Thank you for all the people who come and help set up and help tear down every week. It's a lot of work to do all this every week. Thank you, guys. Thank you for the people who behind the scenes are praying and begging God to show up in our building, are begging God to show up in people's lives and change them. Thank you, guys. Thank you for the people who are behind the scenes helping to plan and organize and strategize about what's coming next. Thank you for all of that stuff. I could go on and on. There's probably a lot more things I'm not even thinking of. But thank you to the people who have decided they're going to follow Jesus with their whole heart, and they're going to do whatever it takes to make this place great, to make this place a place of safety where people can come and get freedom from Jesus. Thank you. But the job's not over, right? Sometimes it's easy to come to church and you sit back and you enjoy the food and you like the music and the preaching's okay when Kenny's teaching, right? And the jokes are a little better when Kenny's teaching, right? And sometimes you come and you're relaxed and you're enjoying your hour here. And you settle in and you kind of get this subconscious feeling of we've made it and that's it. And now I can just soak it in for the rest of my life. But we aren't there yet. And there are still thousands and millions of people that need to hear the truth about Jesus. And so we press forward. We continue to invest. We continue to support missions work around the world. We continue to think of new ways we can reach more people in McCreary County. We continue to challenge you to find different ways to drag people through the door so that they can dispel all the myths they have about church and just meet the real Jesus. 
we keep pressing forward and taking chances and working our faith out with courage. And that's what this series is about. Taking a risk. Not sitting back and just being content, but pressing forward into something greater. Walking up to the edge and looking at a scary cliff and having enough confidence and belief in our God that you just jump right over. Because Christianity isn't really like sitting on the edge of a pole and dipping your toes in the cold water. No, it's like diving off the high dive into the deep end. And you don't know how it's going to work out. And you don't know if you're a strong enough swimmer. And you don't know if you can even make it to the side to get out again. But you trust that much in God that he's going to rescue you, that he's going to sustain you, that he's going to hold you up the whole way. And so we're going to start this series, and it's exciting for me because the three stories we're going to cover in the three weeks of this series are three of my very favorite stories in the Bible. Uh, One of them's pretty familiar, but the other two are stories that don't get told very often in church settings. And so I'm excited about those. I really like these stories, and I've enjoyed studying the first one this week. Um, But if you have a Bible and you want to follow along with us, we're going to be in the book of Joshua, chapter 14. The verses will be on the screen if you just want to follow along that way. But if you have a Bible or a Bible app, we'll be in Joshua chapter 14 most of the morning. And we're going to look at a character named Caleb. And so let me give you some uh, background on Caleb's story um, before we get into this paragraph in Joshua. So Caleb was an Israelite, and maybe you're familiar with the story of Israel being slaves in Egypt. That's a pretty famous story, apart from the story about Jesus in the New Testament Um, Israel's deliverance from Egypt is probably the most famous story in the Bible. Movies have been made about it. If you're old, you've seen the Charlton Heston movie, right? I was including myself in that, right? I'm I'm not not calling anybody out. I'm not saying you're old. I'm just saying we're the same age, but that's okay. But uh, if you're younger, maybe the Prince of Egypt cartoon movie or something like that. But then they just redid the whole like Ben-Hur thing a couple years ago. So a lot of like stories from that era of history where Israel was enslaved by Egypt, forced to do their labor. And Caleb grew up in that setting for the first 40 years of his life. And then God shows up to rescue them, to set them free from slavery. He sends Moses. Are you guys familiar with this story, right? God sends Moses to Pharaoh, and he tells him to let his people go. And Pharaoh won't let him go. And so God unleashes ten plagues on the nation of Egypt. And you got all these like crazy things going on, frogs showing up everywhere and flies and, and the water turns into blood in the river and he ends up killing the firstborn of every Egyptian family. And finally, Pharaoh says, get them out of here, just take them, go. And lets the Israelites go. They go and that's where God splits the sea, remember that, and they cross over on dry land. And then the Egyptian army changes their mind, decides to follow after them and get them back, only to have God have the sea come crashing down on them. And kill him. And God is going to take his people out of slavery into freedom. He's going to take them from bondage and give them a brand new land, a promised land, right? And so they come to the edge of this promised land, and Moses decides he's going to send 12 representatives, 12 spies, into the land, which is called Canaan, into the land of Canaan or the promised land to scout it out and to see what kind of military action they need to take, to see what they um, need to prepare for, for battle, to take this land God has promised them. These 12 spies come back, 
And 10 of them say, the land is good. It's awesome. It's everything God said it would be. But we can't take it. The cities in there have huge high walls. And the people are well fortified. And in fact, there are even giants living in there. That's no lie. That's really in the Bible, like giants. Not just Jack and the Beanstalk stuff. That's like in the Bible. There are giants living in there. And they live in fortified cities with super high walls. We can't take it. But two of those spies said, the land is good. It's everything God promised. And we can take it because God is on our side. Those two spies were Joshua, who would later become the leader of Israel after Moses' death, and this guy we're talking about today, Caleb. Caleb speaks up in front of the entire nation of a few million people and says to them, hey, there are giants in the land. There are high walls and fortified cities, but we can do this. Don't stop now. Let's press forward and take the land that God promised us. In the face of the whole nation against him, he stands up and says, no, 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 we got to do what God says to do. We can't sit back and think this is all there is. I know we're out of slavery. I know the Egyptian army has been defeated. I know we're here in the wilderness with no enemies seemingly around us, but we can't sit back. we got to keep going. we got to take the risk in front of us. Because God promised us that land. And I was thinking this week about this idea of risk. You know what kind of hit me in my head was risk is different for everybody. You ever notice that? Like what you think is risky might actually seem reasonable to me. And, and vice versa. Something that I think is In fact, I've done a lot of things in my life that I think are risky now. But when they were happening then, I just thought they were reasonable. Anybody feel like that? Anybody feel like if you flashed back just a couple years or maybe a couple decades that you can think of a lot of things you did that at the time felt reasonable, but now looking back on them now, you think, that was pretty risky, right? I got scars to prove some of those, right? You know what I'm talking about? Guys, when they're young, I just want, in case you don't know this, okay, I want to point this out. Guys, when they're young, like high school age, are stupid. You guys get that, right? Like, we're, we do stupid things all the time, right? And so, like, I bear some of those scars. I, I've thought about my own life and all the things I've gotten into that have been risky that I thought were reasonable. And so everybody views risk differently. And I was thinking, just a couple weeks ago, we were on vacation at Lakeside, Ohio. See, I got that on the podcast for you guys. Is that good? At Lakeside, Ohio. And uh, we've been there the last few years in a row. My um, wife's family used to go there when she was a kid, and so we have gone up there the last couple years. And my kids, they like to really do about four things while we're there. They like to go to the swimming pool. They like to get in the lake. They like to ride around in a golf cart. And they like to go to the playground. That's about, that's about the extent of what they like to do, really, while they're there. And so pretty much every day, except one it rained, I think we went swimming. And pretty much every day, except maybe one, we went to the playground. And they love going to the playground. So they got this slide at the playground, though, that is like a slide from when we were growing up. You know what I'm talking about? Like now the slides now are all like plastic and super safe. You know what I mean? At the bottom, they got like, you know, mulch and rubber pellets and like pillows. You know what I mean? And so like kids don't even know. And so they go down these slides now. It's like, but when I was a kid, right, 
there were no plastic slides. They were all metal slides, right? And so, like, it hurt going down, you know what I mean? Because you always went down the slide in the summer. So it's real hot outside. So the metal slide heats up. And back then, we didn't wear, like, Jordan shorts. You know what I'm talking about, right, Kenny? Kenny, Kenny wore those jean shorts with the pockets sticking out the bottom. See, girls wear those now. Girls wear those now, but back in, like, the 70s and 80s, that was the guys were wearing those, you know? And so you get on that slide, and it's, like, super hot. It's made out of metal, and your whole leg is hanging out, and you're going down that thing. And just like Tim Hawkins says, it'd be like sparks flying up behind you, you know? And you get to the bottom, and there's nothing. There's, like, blacktop or rocks, you know what I mean? And there's, like, rocks where kids are, like, worn out, and then there's, like, a divot, just, like, hard, compacted, pressed dirt. You know what I'm talking about? And we would fall all the time, and nobody sued or anything, but, but they, don't understand. they got one of those slides at Lakeside, Ohio. And it's even, like, more dangerous than some of those ones I just described because it doesn't even have, like, railings on it. And it's, like, probably a good 10, 12 feet in the air. I mean, and our kids are little. I mean, they're, like, 3 and 5. So they, Logan, he's climbing up that slide, you know, 10 or 12 feet in the air, and he's a little afraid, right? And it makes sense because I was... I was a little afraid, you know, to be honest. And one little, like, tip to the right or left, and he's dropping, like, 10 or 12 feet. So I'm, well, I'm keeping an eye on him. And he gets to the top of it, and I'm like, you can do it, man. You can do it. And he's like, I'm a little scared. I said, don't be afraid. I'm right here. I got you. I won't let you fall. It's all the stuff you say when you're a dad. Sometimes you're lying. You know that, right? Because dads have dropped their kids before. But you're still saying that. You're like, okay, I got you, little man. Go for it. You can do it, you know? And so the first time he goes down, he's like holding on the whole way. And he's going like, you know, a little inch and then an inch and then an inch. And he gets to the bottom and he's like, I did it. And I'm like, well, no, you didn't, but okay, you did it, you know? I'm trying to encourage him. I'm thinking, no, you really crawled down the slide. Do it again, I said. So he goes back up to the slide again and he goes down a little faster. We do this about five or six times. About the sixth time, he was like, you know, hands in the air, feet up, whooshing down the slide. And I'm at the bottom. I don't even need to catch him, okay? What happened? The risk didn't change. It was the same risk the 12th time down the slide as it was the first time down the slide. But what changed? Something changed, right? He decided somewhere along the way it wasn't as risky as he thought it was before. It looked like a big risk, but he knew somebody had his back, right? Try to give you the short version of this, but a couple days later, we go back to the playground. And I'm thinking, they're experts at this slide by now. So I can probably, so I bring the dog this time. The dog likes to get in the lake. So I said to Stephanie, I'm going to leave the kids with you, and I'm going to take the dog down and let him swim in the lake a little bit. So I leave, and I'm gone for about 20 minutes or so. I let the dog swim around. I come back. And when I get back, Logan is just crying his eyes out, you know, snot running down his face, tears everywhere. And I'm like, what happened? He fell off the slide. Okay, here's what happened. He, he's going up the slide. And the first, like, three days, he had, like, cargo shorts on, Right? So we go down day four. He's got, like, slick mesh shorts on, right? And he's like, I got this slide. You know, he climbs up. Nobody's watching him. And he'd, you know what I mean? It was like somebody greased the thing down. And so he goes flying off the end and, you know, just lands. And he is just terrified. So I come back, and I have to spend the next 30 minutes being the bad dad. You know what I'm I'm talking about, the bad dad, right? Because the mom in that situation, oh, baby, let me hug you and hold you. And I'm like, get back up on that slide. You got to do it again. 
I'm not going to let you just say no. You get up on that slide. We're going to do it. And it was a fight. Let me tell you, it was a fight. Why? Because he had now decided again it wasn't worth the risk. You get where I'm going, right? Risk is different to everybody. Caleb stands up in the face of a whole nation. And he says, no, no, no. Let's do what God is telling us to do. Let's have courage and faith and trust. Let's not be scared. But they override him and they don't go in. God's going to punish them as a nation. He says, you're not going to, any of you, see this land I promised you now. You're going to all die in the wilderness. The only people in the whole country, adults, who are going to see this land are going to be the two people, Joshua and Caleb, who had some faith, who had some trust that I would have their back. They were willing to take the risk. And so over the next 40 years, Every adult in the nation of Israel dies off. About 100 adults a day have to drop dead in the wilderness for 40 years as Caleb and Joshua watch them all die off. And then you get to this scene where God's going to now give a new generation of Israel the promised land. And so they begin strategizing and fighting some battles. And you're probably familiar with the famous battle of Jericho, right, where the walls come falling down. And that takes place, and they take some land on the eastern side of the Jordan River. And now they're standing right outside the bulk of the land of Canaan. It's taken them about five years to get to that point. So we're 45 years removed from when all the people said, we're not going in. We're afraid. And Caleb said, no, let's do it. But he didn't get to go in for 45 years. And that's the story we're going to pick up today. Caleb comes to Joshua. After 45 years of waiting and wandering in the wilderness, watching everybody he knows die, he comes to Joshua, and I'm going to read you what he says to him. It's in Joshua chapter 14. I'm going to start in verse 6. Here's what it says. A delegation from the tribe of Judah, led by who? Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, came to Joshua at Gilgal. Here's what Caleb said to him. Remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea. That's where they decided not to go into the promised land. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report, but my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day Moses solemnly promised me, the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Now as you can see, I love this part. Now as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Even while Israel wandered in the wilderness... Today I'm 85 years old, and I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey. And I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak in there. That means giants. The descendants of Anak Anak are giants, if you read back in Deuteronomy and Numbers. We found them living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out. I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. I don't know if you can see that picture or not, right? But he's old. 
I mean, if anybody here is 85, I'm, I'm just saying that's a pretty good age, you know what I mean? So he may have a walker at this point, and he's talking about going to war. You guys get that, right? I mean, he does, I'm as strong now as I ever was. That can't be true. Is that true? He says, I'm as strong now as I ever was. I'm as passionate as I ever was. Listen, if you don't hear anything else today, here's what I want you to hear, okay? God had something special planned for Caleb, but he took a long time to get there, right? It wasn't even his fault. But Caleb understood this principle that his calling was much greater than his comfort. If you don't hear anything else today, this is what I want you to get. God has a calling on your life for something great, a destiny for you. And that calling is more important than, is greater than your comfort. We can't just sit back and say we've made it. we got to press forward with the same passion and the same courage that we had 45 years ago. The same passion and the same courage that we had on day one of this church. Why? Because people are still dropping dead in the wilderness. And people still don't know how to find freedom. And people don't know where to go for answers. See, your comfort is all about how you feel. But your feelings will just lead you to your dreams. Your faith will lead you to your destiny. There's something better out there than your dreams. There's God's destiny on your life. We're settling for these hopes and dreams that our feelings tell us we want when God is saying, no, 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 have faith in me. Trust me. I'm at the bottom of the slide. You will not fall. Go, dude. You got this. And on the other side of that faith, on the other side of that leap, on the other end of that slide is your God-given destiny to take something great, to get a promised land. Don't settle for the wilderness when milk and honey and fruit and vegetables and all the land you could want is waiting on the other side. Press into it with faith and trust that God's got you. Stop worrying about your comfort and start living out your calling. So will you risk your dreams today for something greater? Will you stand at the edge and jump And trust that the Lord will catch you. I was thinking about Caleb this week, and I thought, I wonder, 45 years, long time to be walking around the wilderness when you did the right thing, right? I wonder if you did the right thing and you were suffering the consequences for somebody else's lack of faith, how many years it would take before you'd get bitter? Or how many years it would take before you would abandon your God-given destiny and say, I'm going to make my own dreams, This is taking too long. 45 years. Listen, some of you in the room, some of you in the room have been the victim of other people's lack of faith. You didn't ask for your husband to act like that. You didn't ask for your kids to get wrapped up in that. You didn't ask for that physical ailment. You didn't ask for life to smack you in the face. But some of us have been the victim of other people's lack of faith or life's just evilness, the world's debauchery, the world's brokenness. Some of us have just been the victim of that. 
But there's some news from Caleb's story for you today. So here's what Caleb said. I just want to read you just something I wrote, kind of summed up what Caleb said. Imagine, I want you to picture this 85-year-old man, right? Maybe a walker. I don't know if they had walkers back then. At least a stick. Don't you think? He probably had staff or something. Staff was big back then, okay? So he probably, not staff infection, just staffs, okay? So he's standing there. He's got his staff. Appreciate that, Mindy. See, I can get the Mindy laugh, too. Okay. So he's standing there, 85 years old. He's definitely got gray hair, right? You guys, or maybe no hair. Gray hair or no hair. Standing there with his staff, and he comes up to Joshua, and I kind of rewrote what I heard him say. He says, hey, man, remember what God promised me, what he promised you and I. Even while everybody else was frightening the people and convincing them to disobey God, for my part, I kept following the Lord wholeheartedly. And because of that, God promised me this very land would be mine one day. And I'm just as ready now as I've ever been. God's kept me alive for 45 years, waiting for this day. I've wandered around the wilderness. I've watched all my friends and family members die. But I haven't lost sight of my destiny. I'm 85 now but I haven't lost heart. I'm as strong and passionate and ready to fight now as I've ever been, so give me what God promised me. The cities are fortified. The walls are high. I'm super old, and the people living in there are giants. But if the Lord is with me, I will be victorious, just as he said I would be. I can almost see the passion on his face and hear the excitement in his voice for something he's waited so long for. But, and, I, and I wonder, like, if the people around him were thinking he's a little, you know, off his rocker. You know what I mean? Like, maybe he should be on some medication at this point. Because he sounds a little, let's be honest, cuckoo to some of the, dude, you're 85, maybe you should tone it down a little bit. Right? Maybe we should ask some of the other tribes for help. I mean, how many of these giants are you going to slay by yourself? Right? But that's exactly what you need if you're going to step out and do something risky for God. You need a little bit of crazy, right? You need a little bit of courage and a little bit of passion. I gave you, I'm going to give you two formulas on the screen. This is what I came up with this week. You ready? The formula, it's very simple. If you don't like math, don't get stressed out. It's not going to be long division or anything like that. The formula for being a risk taker is just two things. Passion plus courage. Now, if you think about that for a second, you'll realize that's true because that's how all of us operate. That's how you determine which girl you're going to ask out on a date. Am I right? You got to have a certain amount of passion for what you're seeing in front of you, plus a certain amount of courage to speak the words. Am I right? So this is how you decide what job you're going to take. This is how you decide how you're going to spend your money. You got to have a certain amount of passion for that boat. Plus enough courage to look your wife in the eye after you buy it. You know what I'm saying? So you got passion plus courage equals a risk taker. Okay? Now here's the other end of it. You ready? Apathy plus fear equals a risk avoider. Now, just flash back and forth between those two for a minute. One of those two formulas describes your life. I don't know which one. You'll know. But you're either a risk taker or a risk avoider. 
And what I want you to do is walk out of here today convinced to become a risk taker for God. To be passionate about God's plan and to have enough courage to see it through. And so I came up with this for you. You ready? I think I put this on the screen. Here's how you get godly passion and godly courage. Ready? Here's how you get it. Godly passion comes from the promises and provision of God. Let me explain. Caleb understood this, right? Godly passion, the reason I'm so passionate about taking the land after all these years is because God has made me a promise. And I've already seen him provide many times in the past. You you get that, right? I've seen him deliver me from slavery in Egypt. I've seen him part the sea and let me go through on dry land. I've seen the walls of Jericho come down. I've seen the manna in the wilderness. I've seen the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night to lead us around where we're supposed to go. I've seen God provide already, and he made me a promise. So I'm pretty passionate about that promise because I know he's done other things he said he's going to do. He's probably going to do this too. I'm at the bottom of the slide, and I'm looking up at you, and I'm saying, go ahead and slide. I promise I'll catch you, and I caught you the last five times his passion comes from the promise of God plus the provision of God right passion you got to have passion but passion alone won't do it you still won't take risks which is passion see if I'm passionate about a really good-looking girl I want to date but I don't have any courage then I just sit in chemistry class all year staring at her looking like a creep you see what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about. Some of, you, some of you guys probably did that, right? Don't be the creepy guy. Get some courage. Go ask her out, right? So you've got to have the other half of it. Passion plus courage equals a risk taker. Here's how you get godly courage. Ready? Godly courage comes from the presence and the power of God. You can flash back and forth between those two, too, if you want, in case somebody wants to write them down so they won't yell at me after church for not leaving them up on the screen long enough. That, that happens quite a bit. I'm just saying, I get yelled at a lot. Courage, godly courage, comes from the presence and power of God. What I mean by that is the, the enemy of courage is fear. And God, over and over again, says, you don't have to be afraid because I'm with you. My presence, right? My presence. And not only am I with you, but I'm the strongest kid on the block, you see, if you're like three foot eight and 49 pounds and the high school senior that lives down the road is outside like Biff and he's kicking your ball up under the roof, you know what I'm talking about? Anybody that's like my age knows what I'm talking about, right? And you're like, come on, Biff, give me my ball back. You're a little scared if you're being honest, but not if the biggest, strongest kid on the block is there on your side. See, courage comes from knowing that God is with me and nobody's bigger than him. That's why I got all the courage I need. Godly courage comes from that. Flash those one more time. You ready? This is what you need to be a risk taker. You need to have passion that's rooted in the promises of God. Some of you have lost that. Because it's been 45 years. Or you didn't think it would get that bad. And so you're like, those promises must not be for me. Oh, they're for you. I've got a future for you and a promised land for you, and I've got freedom from you, for you, and I've got big plans, a destiny for you, and the power of God and the presence of God. You got those, you got those four things, the power and presence of God, 
are what give me my courage. The same things that gave Caleb his courage. And it looks a little crazy to people, but that's okay. I was thinking about my life, and I thought, you know, I've been a little crazy about way lesser stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like a new game comes out, and I'm crazy about it. I'm so passionate about it, I might go wait in line to buy it. That's kind of dumb. I'm just saying the same game will be there when the line goes down. You know, I know I got some friends, like a new movie comes out, and they're ready to, like, camp out. You know what I mean? They got, like, a movie buddy strapped to their leg. You know what I'm talking about, because they don't want to get out of line. That's passionate, right? So I've been passionate about some way lesser things. What if I started getting passionate about something that matters? See, confidence in God often looks like craziness to people. But that's okay. Let me give you one more story about my son. That's okay. I've, I've turned it into that pastor, the one that talks about my kids all the time. I don't like that. They're going to hate that when they're old enough to sit out here. I'm going to have to wean myself off of that. So we got these steps, these steps at home. And I started this thing with my kids, and Logan has taken to it way better than Sydney. So maybe it's a guy-girl thing, I don't know. But I started, you know, several months ago. They get to about, like, you know, step six from the bottom. I'd be like, jump! And I'd be standing at the bottom, like, I'll catch you, man, jump! And there was, like, you know, big risk at the beginning. And he wouldn't jump. And I was like, okay, come down a little lower. And I got him down to, like, step two, you know. And then I just kept weaning him up. An extra step every day, you know. But it's backfired on me because now he's like one step down from the top. And he's like, you know, 360. And like, I'm about 10 pounds on him away from not being able to catch him anymore. You know what I mean? Like, it's starting to feel like I'm trying to catch like a huge weight dropping down the stairs. He's got no fear now. He looks a little crazy. But see, as he's tested it over and over again, and as he's figured out that I'm right there, and that I've got all the power in the world. He thinks I'm like a, a, a Avenger, right? He thinks I'm super, he doesn't know that I'm really kind of weak, you know? But like he'll jump because he knows I have caught him, I'm there to catch him, and I've promised to catch him. And so he just jumps with like reckless abandon. He's going to get hurt. I just want everybody to know he's going to get hurt. And when the police interview you, I want you to know I didn't hit him, all right? I just want you to have my back on that, okay? He just got, he's got too much courage now almost, right? And it looks a little crazy. Think of all the things in your life that you've risked for way lesser stuff than God's destiny. I mean, a lot of stuff. I remember like when I was, I don't even know if I should say some of this stuff, you know, because like Abby will go out and do some of this stuff. But I remember like when I was in high school, like racing my friends like 100 miles an hour. And we'd be like passing each other the wrong way on roads and stuff, you know. And we used to play hide and go seek in our cars. And we would, like, camp out under a bridge, and then somebody, like, flashed their lights on you. That's how they caught you. And so if they were close to you, you'd just, like, you'd just floor it. I mean, you didn't care if there were people in the way, or you just went, you know? Like, stupid stuff, you know what I mean? Like, we were stupid. Of course, I've told all of you my story about water sliding down the reservoir spillway. That's a mistake. If you ever come across a big concrete 50-foot drop, don't water slide down it. Concrete and skin don't match well. And I got the scars to prove that one thought about my life. Man, there's so many things I've risked for stupid lesser things. And isn't it okay if we just got a little crazy for God instead? See, Caleb knew that God had a purpose for his life, that he had a destiny, that he had something bigger planned for him, something important, and it was going to require some risk on his part. Think about what Caleb had to risk. 
First, he had to be just about the only one to stand up in front of a nation of millions and say the opposite of what everybody else was saying. That takes some courage. Then he had to have the courage to, for 45 years, continue to believe God's promise. When I'm sure there were people around him being like, you're never going to get into that land. Not going to see that happen. 45 years he remained faithful to that promise. And then when it finally comes time to take it, he's got to be 85 and ready to go to fight against giants. How much courage does that take? I wouldn't want to fight against giants now. And I'm not even half that age, you know? A lot of courage. But he knew the same thing that you need to know as you leave here today. That he wasn't meant to live small. He was meant to live big. He was meant to do great things for the Lord. It reminds me of a quote that's often attributed to Mark Twain. I don't know if he said it or not, but it's often attributed to him. This is what it says. 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bowlines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, discover, live out your destiny. And I thought, man, Caleb got that. He knew he wasn't meant to live small. He knew he was meant to live big, and so are you. You ever go on like a long car ride, and you get out at the end, and the very first thing you do is stretch, and it feels super good? Why is that? Because you aren't meant to live all cramped up. You're meant to live big, spread out, taking risks, doing something great for the Lord. You're meant to stretch out and live big for God. And this is the thing I want to leave you with today. Ready? Don't let your fear keep you from your future. Don't let your fear keep you from your future. See, some of you are scared. You're not scared of asking a girl out. You're not scared of taking a new job. But you're scared. You're scared to say to your family tomorrow morning, hey, let's sit down and read the Bible together. Why? Because you've never done that. And they're going to be like, what are you talking about, Dad? i got to go to school. Leave me alone. You're afraid to stop back at that table on the way out and buy a book to read this fall. Because then you can't say you just don't know anything. Then you have to be responsible for some information that God's pumping into your head. You're afraid to tell anybody that you've been thinking about your faith and that you want it to be stronger, that you want it to be more committed to the Lord. You're afraid because they're going to say, I know what you used to be like. See, you're afraid. Don't let your fear keep you from your future. God's got a destiny for you. I don't know what the risk is for you to take. Maybe it's a book to read. Maybe it's a conversation to have. Maybe it's somebody you need to forgive. Maybe it's somebody that you need to tell has hurt you. Maybe it's a person in this room you need to walk up to after church and just say, you know what, I've been playing games my whole life with God, but today I want to be a risk taker for God. I want to step out and just finally trust Him with everything. I've been protecting myself my whole life. God says, give your money, and I've been hoarding my money. God says, serve me, and you've been serving yourself. God says, trust me, and you've been relying on only you. And today could be the day where you become a risk taker, where you step across that edge and jump and trust that God will catch you. I left one paragraph off. I'm going to read it to you. It's at the end of chapter 14. Here's how this story ends. It says, so Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as, the portion, as his portion of land. 
Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Previously, Hebron had been called Kiriath Arba. It had been named after Arba, a great hero of the descendants of Anak, and the land had rest from war. Now, I'm going to give you two things from that last paragraph. There's one thing I really love about that last paragraph, and there's one thing I really don't love about it, okay? I'm going to give you both of them. Here's the first one. The thing I really love about that paragraph is that God renames that place. I love that. It used to be named after the son of a giant who used to live in there and kill people. But I'm going to rename it something different, Hebron. That's what God does. That's the very spot that 45 years ago, everybody stood up and said, we can't do it. And you know what, Caleb? You're going to suffer for everybody else's lack of faith. And God says, you were just a victim back then. You were a victim 45 years ago. But I'm going to take the spot that you were a victim, and I'm going to proclaim victory over it by renaming it. And that's what God does. He takes your moments of being a victim, and he pronounces victory over them. That's the essence of redemption. He doesn't say, run away and hide and start brand new somewhere else. He says, show me the worst spot you got, and I'll make victory out of that spot. You don't have to hide from the other people who had lack of faith in your life. You don't have to hide from the people who abused you and victimized you. You don't have to hide from your past mistakes and regrets. You stand right there where they were, and I will pronounce a new name over them. And I've said in our church before several times, don't you dare go out of here and let somebody else give you a name besides God. Because the rest of the world is trying to name you every day. They're trying to name you, label you as something, as a, a divorcee or broken or a pervert or a drug dealer or a druggie or a junkie or a scumbag or a jerk. Don't you dare let somebody name you besides God. You know why? Because you're his kid. And you better believe I'm not going to let somebody else name my kids. And he's proclaiming victory over your life that he wants you to be his child. Not a victim. I love that about that paragraph. Here's the thing I don't love about it. You ready? I don't know if you caught this or not, but in between verses 13 and 14, it seems like there's a verse missing. Can I read it again? Here, look. Verse 13. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. Okay, I got that part. Joshua sends him out. Go take the land. You got it. Verse 14. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb to this day. You're like, wait a second. I'm like, what happened there? I mean, I got, that was a buildup. I was waiting for the buildup to the fight. Where's the battle? I want to know, did he take it or not? Did, did, did he fight or did he have other people fight for him? Did he fall over? Did he have to take a break because he's 85? Or did he wipe out all the giants? Where's the fight? It's like they skipped over it. It's almost as if what happens doesn't matter as much as you making the decision to take the risk up front. It's almost like God has it all planned out, and that's not the important part of the story. In the very next chapter, you do find out that Caleb wins this battle and they take this land, right? But it's almost like it's left out of this passage. I want to read you one verse. In the very next book of the Bible, Judges chapter 1, this battle's mentioned. And if you remember from the series we did earlier in the year on the book of Judges, they're divvying up the land 
And all these tribes are going around to fight the inhabitants of the land and drive them out. And most of them can't do it. They end up staying in the land with them. And to this day, Israel's still battling all those battles because they didn't drive them out completely. But in Judges chapter 1, verse 20, it says, This tribe took the land but didn't drive the inhabitants out. And this tribe took their land but didn't drive all the inhabitants out. And this tribe took their portion of the land but didn't drive all the inhabitants out. And then there's a verse sandwiched in that chapter. Chapter 1 of Judges, verse 20. And this is what it says. The town of Hebron was given to Caleb as Moses had promised. And you know what he did? He did drive out the people living there. They were descendants of the three sons of giants. But he drove them out. The 85-year-old man, where the rest of the nation failed, he stepped up and said, not this time. Not this time. I'm going to drive them out. Where others failed, Caleb would not be denied. He knew that God had promised him the land. He knew that God had faithfully provided in the past. He knew that God was right there present with him. And he knew that nobody and nothing was stronger than his God. And so he had passion and he had courage to step out and do something big. I'm with you today, right? For a year I've been planning this day. It's a big day for our church. You don't even know it yet, most of you. But for a year, we've been planning this behind the scenes. I want you to take a risk today. I'm going to take it with you. Ready? I don't know what the risk is for you. It could be any of those things I mentioned earlier. A conversation you need to have. A surrender in your heart to God, finally. Where you say, I'm going to stop being my own boss. I'm going to do whatever you say. I'm going to trust whatever you say. I'm not going to be my own God anymore. I'm going to believe the things you say are true. I'm going to follow you wholeheartedly. Maybe that's the risk for you. Maybe the risk for you is a book to read about faith. Maybe the risk for you is somebody you just need to go to and ask for forgiveness. Maybe the risk for you is somebody you've been treating bad. You just need to start treating them nice. I don't know what the risk is, but there's a risk for each of you to take if you're going to follow God wholeheartedly today. Here's mine. You ready? Tomorrow morning, I'm going to go to work and quit my job so I can be the full-time pastor at our church. And that doesn't seem like a big deal to you, probably. That's a big deal to me. That's a scary deal to me, right? I got to take a big pay cut to do it. I got to lose a lot of security to do it. If I'm being honest, there's a little bit of fear that I feel inside of me. I appreciate it if you didn't tell my boss that, because he doesn't know yet. I was going to tell him Friday, but he wasn't at work, so I'm going to tell him tomorrow. Why? Because we haven't made it yet. And there's more marriages to rescue. And there's more people to help. And there's more souls to cross over from death to life. And there's slaves in our county that need freedom. So what is the risk God's got for you this week? What is the risk he's asking you to take? We're going to close with a song. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And I want you to do just one of these following things during this song. Ready? I want you to stand right where you're at and just inside your own mind and heart, I want to challenge you to pray and just tell God whatever that risk is that you feel, that this week you're going to do it. That today you're going to do it. Or I want you to use this song to just proclaim out loud as you sing along with us that everything 
Everything you have is God's. There's nothing you're holding on to. You're risking all of it for him. It might cost you everything, but it's well worth it. Hey, he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he can never lose. Today, would you become a risk taker for God? Would you step up to the plate, to the top of the slide, and just slide down? He's got you. He's got you, and he's the strongest kid on the block.